Hello there, and welcome to the Talking Heads podcast with me, Lucy Chamberlain. And me, Saul Walker. The two head gardeners looking after private estates in Essex and Devon. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. We hope your garden is growing beautifully. And if you're new, thank you for listening in to us chat about our gardens, what's going on in the horticultural world, and occasionally chatting to our garden friends around the UK. Finally, summer has arrived, and after one of the most unusual springs in living memory and the steady reopening of the UK COVID lockdown, it couldn't have come any sooner. Herbaceous beds are overflowing with colour, kitchen gardens reveal their bounty of fruit and vegetables, and the air is filled with buzzing and birdsong. Join us every week for a new episode on a range of diverse subjects as we reflect on our successes and failures in our work and personal gardens. We also look at how horticulture in the UK is developing, and divulge a few things that we've learned over a combined 40-year gardening career. So take us with you as you start weeding and planting, or just enjoy us on your favourite garden bench as we delve into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. Hello Mr Walker, it is lovely to see you. It's been a while because we've had a few blips. We had a technical difficulty, which we managed between us to sort out. I'm actually, I had some input into that. I was quite astounded at myself. I had skills there I didn't even know I had. So that was something rather special. And, um, so, and, uh, yeah, then I did one, I've done one on my own. And we, you are going to do a, a, a tour of your garden on your Todd at some point when we're not, well, not quite sure when, but it will be, it'll be soon. Yeah, and we also have, we were just talking about this episode 100 is our next episode. So we're going to put our thinking caps on and think of hopefully something that is going to do due credit to the significance that is the centenary episode of the Talking Heads podcast. So no pressure, but we'll try and do something fun, something lovely for that. We're recording this midweek and we just had Boris the other night talking about the roadmap and how it's we've, we've taken a slight, you uh, not, not, we haven't done a U-turn, we've just take, taken a left rather than going straight ahead. So that's absolutely fine. That goes into the RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show. Uh, and we were umming and ahhing about attending that, which would be a lovely thing to do. We have checked today, it's still going ahead. So that's very good news. Um, obviously, there'll be some social distancing in place and that's absolutely sensible. So we're, we're very much looking forward to, to seeing what we can, we can do there. And when it comes to the garden, oh my goodness, it's just ridiculously hot. It's been phenomenal. In Essex, it's been way into the high 20s. Saul, you look wilted. So I'm sensing in Devon, it's been, has it been fuggy? Is that the right word to use? I am wilting. Yes. I've, I've, <laughs> I'm not a man who's built for heat, as you could probably tell. <laughs> I'm very much a temperate beast. I do like the, I do enjoy the cooler temperatures. And I am looking forward to it being a bit fresher. But yes, it has been quite hot here. I, I must say, the last time we sort of talked, we were talking about the, you know, how bad the weather had been. I know. But we were looking forward to the nice weather, and now we have all this really nice weather but I'm just yeah I'm wilting and it's uh, it'll be nice when the weather is a bit more fresher yeah it's I say it's I have been irrigating a lot in Essex in in just outside Colchester here where we are it has been I mean we're used to doing that in in our neck of the woods it's, it's a pretty dry arid um county anyhow so I'm I'm well prepared with my hose pipe and my sprinklers and uh, trying to do things first thing in the morning so that plants get a real good benefit to it. I don't tend to water much in the evening because the slugs and snails really like that. So I am an early bird at this time of year. I actually quite like getting up at 
some, I do get up at half five, six and do my own garden. I do try and tread very carefully on the gravel <laughs> so that the neighbours don't think I'm too obsessed. Although I think that might be a, a, something that they've already realised anyhow. But yeah, I have been irrigating a lot. I, I know there's, there's for us in Essex, the, the weather's due to break on Thursday of this week. So this podcast might come out by the time that's actually happened. We're promised thunderstorms which actually would be really good because it's been so so hot and dry i do feel that if the moisture levels are topped up by nature and you can't beat a proper rain you can irrigate as much as you like but it's just not the same as rain that would be really really good timing so by the time this comes out as i say it will either rained on thursday or it won't so i'll either be a happy bunny or i'll be tethered to my watering can in my host pipe a little bit longer but we'll see what about in Devon? Is it, you're, you're due a weather warning as well, aren't you? We've got a thunderstorm's coming. If you see a mad bearded Devonian running around the garden enjoying a bit of rain, that's me because I'm, I'm looking forward to... I'm just looking forward to the freshness of a thunderstorm. There, there's something about a thunderstorm that makes you go slightly cock-a-hoop, doesn't there? I just, I just love it. <laughs> there's that smell and then there's that frisson of electricity in the air. I don't know. I really do like a good thunderstorm so yeah fingers crossed we'll get some because like you i've had to be irrigating my advice to people is that if you're going to grow in pots don't have 250 plus pots that's all i can say <laughs> that's what you were doing last because, night irrigating oh, at 10 at night that takes you about an hour and a half a quick irrigation and then you have to check everything and, and then the feeding that's the other thing that takes forever with pots as well but if you want a plant collection like mine i guess that's what you have to put up one day i might even put them in the put them in the beds <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. You're on the you're on the cusp of sounding like a broken man. I'm a bit worried about you. So you need to get, the, like I say, get some stuff in some beds, or get some bigger pots, or get an automated system, or or, or have a hire a gardener for your own garden. I tell you what, I did get, uh, which is very exciting. Um, I get one of those automatic reel hoses. Oh yeah, I've got one of those. Changed my world. Oh, Changed my world. Changed yes, is changing literally. my world as well. See. So before I used to just have this free hose and it would just sort of snake through the garden and you'd have to coil it in a corner or you'd trip over it or it would just kink everywhere. Now, oh, and it's 30 metres as well. So for once I can get to the other end of the garden. Instead of what I used to have to do was aim at the, with, the, with the lance and hopefully the arch of the water would go into the last few pots. <laughs> but now I can actually get to those pots with the hose. No, I tell you what. I, it cost me a bit. I know they're not I cheap. Know they I do. know that, but money well spent. I would say we had we got ours this time last year. Changed my life, and that is not an underestimation when you're mm. as addicted to gardening as you and I are. If you have something that you haven't got to, like you say, keep tripping over it, coils back on itself, it reels itself up tidily. You just have to pull on it, and then, and then don't you, have you ever done that? Pulled on it full length, and then just watch. Oh it yeah, go. when it goes back oh, into itself, it's sweet, lovely, really sweet. Mm. So, uh, anyhow, watering fantasies aside, let's get on to the topic of this episode, which is roses. We, as a nation, love our roses time and time again. It's voted as the nation's favourite flower with very good reason because I absolutely adore them. The owners of the hall adore them. I think the owners of Stolens and Saul, you adore them. So why not let's talk for the next 20 or so minutes about these amazing flowers that are full throttle at the moment. They're, they are looking splendiferous, if I can be so bold, but they do. They look amazing. Um, June, early June, late May, early June, going going into mid-June, depending on the season, is the time that roses do their thing. Things are still, I would say, a little bit late this year because of the very cold April and, and wet May. June is doing its absolute best, absolute best to to, to catch up as, as, as much as it can with these high temperatures. But the roses are, I would say, just about coming into their best at the hall now. So we are 
I say mid, mid-June, but it's looking and smelling amazing. How about you? Yeah, roses are everywhere, aren't they? I do, do you know, I don't know many gardens that don't have a rose. Even even the more neglected back gardens or front gardens where people really aren't gardeners, there's always a rose of some description, isn't there? Somewhere. E- even if it's just a little miniature rose yeah. in a pot, everyone has some type of rose. And I think that's the great thing about roses, isn't it? There is there is a variety or a type sort of habit for everyone, really, you know, there is there is a rose for for all tastes. Whether you like fancy roses, whether you like very simple roses, and there must be most colours are covered. Probably blue and maybe black it's the blue, isn't are it? the two. Yeah, the two colours that aren't. But there are very mauvey purples and things that can. Some of the catalogues do tweak their images. I'm going to be. I, they do because they're a little bit naughty doing that because they know that the blue rose is actually like you say the the, the must have thing and it's a bit of an impossibility. But hey, I was going to say we all tweak our social media photos, don't we? So can't blame the what? can't blame do the you? catalogues. I know you do. I look at yours, Lucy, and I know that you have been. I have on it. I have on Instagram a little bit, but I'd never. I never do on Twitter. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Yes, don't change the colours. <laughs> don't change the colours of your flowers. But yeah, there is a rose uh, that you know can be bought for everyone. So I think what we're going to go yeah. through is do a little bit of talking about all the varieties, aren't we? All the types. All of the varieties. Buy me. I've got to get some more batteries. Hang on. <laughs> all, all of the varieties. And then we're going to just talk about the roses we've got. And then we'll just do a little bit of a uh, how to grow them, plant them, and, and just some of the, I think, some of the things to watch out and some of the things to know if you've got roses. So should we start with the two, the two var- uh, type of roses that you're really going to probably come across the most and probably the most popular of the two which are the hybrid teas and the floribundas when it comes to hybrid teas at east Dunland hall we have uh we have a, a good collection of those we've got what we call the sundial garden which unsurprisingly enough has a sundial in the center of it but it's f- flanked by four beds <laughs> surrounding the sundial and each of those has a different variety of hybrid tea rose in them we've got savoy hotel which is a lovely delicate pink We've got Southampton, which is like almost like a, a brick orange colour. And we've got a red one. I'm trying to think of the name of the, the red ones escaped me and the yellow. Oh, my goodness. I'll, I'll find them out and put them on Twitter. But we, we have some lovely hybrid teas there. Um, Deep Secret, that's the red one. And the yellow one will come to me by the end of this paragraph. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're lovely. And we've got some in the front of the house as well. They're very traditional, the way we've got them planted. They are literally a bed of hybrid teas, uh, each bed will have around 40 plants in it, so it's a big display. It's not underplanted with anything else. It's well, They're all edged by by box, apart from the one at the front of the house, which is edged by just soil going into lawn. Uh, but the hybrid teas have the most, gar- the most gargantuan flowers on them of, of any rose because that is what they've been bred to have. You really are wanting a, a single stem terminating in one massive big bloom and um they 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 just look amazing en masse so that's i'm I'm pleased that they're planted that way and i know you can do them other ways we've got some areas where this we've got a few dotted round underplanted with nepita or sedums and things and that's that's nice but actually when you see the beds en masse they look incredible so I mean, I know at Stonings you've got more floribundas, haven't you? We have, yes. Um, we we actually don't have any hybrid teas. I, I will say hybrid teas probably had their popularity something like 20, 30 years ago, and they've been slowly 
overtaken, I think, by the Floribundas. Just because with the Floribundas, as the sort of name suggests, are just incredibly floriferous. Whereas the hybrid teas, as you've already said, have this sort of single amazing flower. Very good for the, the really avid rosophiles, you know, or the the ones that would like bring their roses indoors or the or the for the shows as well, where you have these amazing, huge, really complex flowers. The Florabundas are a little, what I would describe, a little bit more messy, a little bit more full of flower, but you can get something like 50 plus to 100 on, on one stem. And that just makes an absolutely amazing display. And we mostly grow Floribundas because they are part of a mixed scheme at Stoners, part of our mixed beds. And therefore, the flowers aren't really seen on their own like they are at East Donland in the, in the bed of roses. They're, they're more blended in with the herbaceous and the other shrubs. Um, the two Floribundas that we have mostly are Penelope and Buff Beauty, two really good sort of one's pinkish peach and the other one's a little bit more, as the name suggests, a bit more buff of buff beauty but um the great thing about um well both floribundas and hybrid teas is they can be repeat flowering you just need to dead head and then you will get a, a second flower through i i definitely think floribundas are getting more and more popular just because of the sheer magnitude of the the flowers you can get on one rose whereas some of the old hybrid teas have been more prone to some of the the diseases um they they used to really be get heavy black spot whereas a lot of the floribundas have been bred to be a bit more black spot and uh, mildew resistant so I can highly rend if you, if you, I would say that if you're a rose novice, it's probably best to start with the Floribunda roses because they generally are pretty much do what they say on the tin. And then if you get really get into the more the form and the function of roses, then you should really start looking at the hybrid teas because they do have, as you said, the better of the flowers. But in essence, they do both grow in a very uh, similar fashion. Um, Hybrid teas, you would cut down uh, pretty hard because you do want those long, straight stems with the single flowers. Floribundas, you probably more want a framework of stems because you want to introduce lots of the sprays of flowers so you get a, a, a big mass. Otherwise, you know, both both usually have good scent. Uh, hybrid teas probably have the better scent out of the two. Um, Floribundas, again, are bred more for the visual appeal, although that's the same with hybrid teas. But you'll probably find hybrid teas have the best scent, although we will talk about some other roses down the line which have an incredible scent. I'd say, it, depending on the situation, Floribundas do better in a mixed scheme, whereas your hybrid teas look good as a standalone specimen. Yeah, yeah. And, and as well as, as those two groups of roses, I know... We, we don't have the modern types at the hall. We do have the very old-fashioned shrub roses. I know that especially David Austin has, has re-injected life into the what we call the modern shrub rose, which is a, a development and improvement on the, the really old forms. But we have a, a, a big bed at the hall that's about four, four metres deep and about 15 metres long that's absolutely ram-packed with uh, proper old shrub roses so we've got the english shrub roses the portland roses the gallicas the bourbons the damasks uh things like rosa mundi which is rosa gallica versicolor uh the scent of that is incredible we've got uh rose de Richt, uh comte de chambord um cardinal de richelot celsiana jacques cartier full staff um 
oh, just so many of them. And they're all packed into this border in groups of three or four, because I think with these, uh, with these really old English shrub roses, uh, the older types especially do have quite small flower heads and they look better planted in groups of three or four. The, the David Austin and, and more modern types of, uh, of the English shrub rose have now been bred to have larger flower heads. So you could have one on its own, but we have three or four together. Um, you, some of them are, we have these, what we call the moss, uh, roses. They have these little mossy buds, which actually look like they are, as the term implies, cloaked covered in little bits of moss they're all kind of crimpled and brown um sorry crimpled and, and green and fuzzy and that in itself is quite an attractive trait to to the rose some of them have really healthy really healthy foliage some of these old shrub roses are very robust when it comes to pests and diseases um and as I say, the scent of them, oh my goodness, it packs a punch. They re- they will repeat flower. We do deadhead these roses once they have their main flush in June. And then we'll get a second, it's a smaller flush, but we're talking about maybe then in um, going into uh, early August, we'll have a second flush of flowers. And yeah, I say the scent of that bed, um, it's against a, a sunny wall. If you get a still day and it's a warm day, it's... This perfume in the air is just intoxicating, absolutely delicious. So those are, again, another rose I would say maybe not for the novice because they do require a certain amount of, of specialist pruning and, and, and care. They, they probably need a bit more maybe feeding and mulching because of the, they haven't got loads and loads of, of vigor, some of these types, but, um, they, they do put on a really lovely display. And if you're really into your, your sort of heritage roses, some, plants that have a real good history to them some of these are you know centuries old and uh, they they are from a nostalgic point of view they are they are really worth 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 trying in the garden yeah and some of the uh floribundas have actually been bred uh, down some sizes as well i'll say for miniature and um, and pot roses so you can find a rose again like we were saying at the start there is a rose for all situations so if you've just got a small patio or just a couple of pots. There is uh, some smaller size for abundance that you can get to fit those. Um, should we move on to climbers and ramblers? Because that's probably the we next must. section of roses, which I think are most popular. Yeah. Um, I'm sure most people have either got a, a climber or, or a rambler. The, the difference, in essence, is um, the habit of the rose, and in essence, the way you manage it or the way you treat it. Climbers being roses that put on a nice framework of stems that you can train up, whereas ramblers are a little bit looser. They tend to do a little. Well, it's in the name, isn't it? They tend to do a bit of rambling, a bit sprawling. Uh, they're very good for for covering unsightly objects yeah. such as sheds or uh, or arbors or fences um and in essence they're incredibly effusive they do like to grow uh climbers will put on quite a bit of height but not quite as much vigor as some of the ramblers will as Solans, we've got mostly climbers I haven't got any ramblers that i know about when arabella and the next boy designed our garden she has an absolute obsession <laughs> with french named roses so most of the ones that we have so i can't pronounce so i'm very lucky to have my spreadsheet plant list in front of me that includes uh now let me get this right because okay. I, I i really do not want to alienate the french audience here uh, we've got Etoile d'Olande. I think I've said that correctly. Now, uh, we've also got Madame or Mademoiselle Grégoire Stachelide. <laughs> now, I hope I've said that 
correctly. I know I, I know I said it to someone else and they said I butchered it, but there we are, Gregoire Statuli. And then there's another one that's just round the uh, round in the courtyard that is called Mad Madame, not Mademoiselle this time, Caroline Testu. Now I'm good. sure I've got that right. That sounds about right. I tell you what, any all these roses are absolutely glorious again with climbing roses yeah. you can get both hybrid tea types mm. and florabunda types depending on what you want for example buff beauty actually which is one of our florabundas can actually be trained as a climber as well and looks quite yeah. amazing climbing up um the side of our sunroof that's got some vigor that's got some vigor buff beauty because we have that at the hall there's a freestanding rose but actually my goodness it really could as you say, so, and it's it's a lovely one. I concur with you on the, on the, you know the beauty of that. It's 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 so floriferous, and the scent of it's nice. Lots of the floribundas are very sort of sprawly, whereas the hybrid tea mm. type climbers are usually found on quite again long stems, and the and you have to train them quite nicely to maximise the floral display. Mm. Yeah, we've got a hybrid tea climber called Golden Future on the front of the hall. It's a real rich sunshine yellow, but actually, and I planted these about four or five years ago and it's taking a long time to build up a framework because they they seem to have this tendency because of the hybrid tea nature of them to produce quite long stems that don't side branch and then you you end up having to bend them over into the wall to get them to to side shoe they ultimately will do it but it's taking a long time to build the framework up We've, we've, we've got other climbing roses like we've got madame isaac perrier which is a a a real in your face pink it's it's proper barbara cartland one it's just just gorgeous gorgeous thing but that uh as a climber is an absolute treat to to train it side branches beautifully it's it's not too vigorous but it's, it produces long whippy stems but they have pliability to them so you know there's yeah as you say there's definitely different habits for these roses one of the french ones that we have is sombre which is a, a climbing tea rose the scent of that is phenomenal it's pure white with pink in bud and it's planted a lot around the hall and I can see why it's one of the owner's favorites and it's just the scent is so sweet so so sweet and the flowers are absolutely double absolutely at least that was an easy French name to say oh hopefully (laughs) (laughs) are you just trying to make excuses for mashing up your ones (laughs) yeah I just I I always feel bad when I can't say the names um at home I've actually got a a smaller less vigorous climber called warm welcome which is a single orange flower very luminous but if you have a small spot like a like a short fence maybe six foot or, or a small just wall you want to cover it's well worth researching which climbers you get because some of them are can be a lot um smaller and and fill the space something like climbing iceberg is no use in a very small uh you know on a six foot fence because it it will put on about 12 foot stems all the time so it's it's well worth researching the size of the roses before you purchase them and this is definitely the with the ramblers uh, you definitely don't want to be putting a rambler somewhere where you're going to regret it later at home i've got bobby james which is probably the second most vigorous rose after rambling rector mm. but it will put on 12 foot in a year now i've got it trained along a fence so i'm actually treating it like a climber but i tell you what it takes some man handling so again make sure you know what you're getting into before you buy your rose or you might come to regret it yeah well whoever planted the we've got seagull at the bottom of a, a weeping right. willow which is right on the on the far side of the moat at the hall and this weeping willow is mature. So we're talking 80 foot 
tall, possibly something like 60, 80 foot tall. The the seagull is in the top of it. It's unbelievable. And then we've got rambling rector at the back of the hall, which is in a a pear that's been planted there probably about 50 years ago, an ornamental pear. And it's that in itself is a, probably a good 45 foot tall. The rambling rector smothers it, absolutely smothers it in bloom at this time of year. Uh, we also have on our pillars, there's a, a, a new a new uh, planting for us, a Gurland rose, which is another rambler. And I'm finding, because we've got some other less vigorous climbers on the pillars, which are much more easy to train, when you get these ramblers on there, you've got to do a lot of spiralling. There's a lot of spiralling going on because that's what you do with these long whippy stems when you haven't got a, a massive amount of space. You spiral them round and round and round as horizontally as you possibly can, which obviously sort of suppresses the vigour to a degree, but it gets them to side branching. We, we get a massive amount of flower on it. Um, but yeah, it does require quite a lot of tying in and controlling. Yeah, they are, they're, they're rampant. Now we are going to go on to uh, a bit of rose care, but I, di- I did want to mention a couple of, well, I, we're not going to go into them. You've already mentioned the moss rose, and I know that this is one of these sort of speciality mm. shrub roses, but there are lots, if you really want to get into it and be a bit of a rose nerd, there are tons of roses. You've got the Bourbon roses, the Damask roses, Portland mm. roses, Gallica roses, um, Sweet Briars, Tea roses, and these are the original, not the hybrid teas, the things they were bred from, the tea roses, which are old roses. Um, so once you start yeah. looking into them, it's it's phenomenal. Don't, can I also mention as well, very quickly, we've got, because we've got, like I say, at the hall, those roses that you've just mentioned are, are I think, very, very mm. special. I'm, I'm, I really like that we look after those. But we've also got lots of Rugosa roses because we have a light, sandy soil. Um, we do, I mean, we can grow all these roses. I know people say roses like a clay soil, but actually all these ones I'm listing here, we grow on light sandy soil, but we, that requires a lot of irrigation, a lot of mulching, a lot of feeding. If you want a rose that actually is just going to do well on its, by its nature on a light sandy soil, then there are goes roses. Uh, we've got loads, we've got Rosary, Rosary de la Haye is one that when it, when it flowers, I cannot resist walking up to it and inhaling because it's the scent of it is exquisite. And lots of them have really good hips on as well. So for light sandy soils, a rugosa rose is, is they're, they're naturally quite happy in coastal situations. They don't mind the wind, the heat, the dry. They're yeah, happy. don't be put off by their amenity planting uh, reputation. You know, no, just because you see them down not. the supermarket doesn't mean they can't be very beautiful. Anyway, let's just quickly chat about uh, establishing and kind of some of the things you have to think about when you're growing roses. Best for me, and I hopefully you agree, is to buy them bare root. Bare root, I, I, yes. I, I yeah. think you can grow them in containers, but I just think when you grow them bare root, you just get a just get a better establishment. It's just so much easier to work with them. And cheaper. And that's true, well. very cheaper. The only uh, fallback is you have a period of time, generally autumn, winter, maybe early spring, where you have to get them in. It's really worth getting onto the major rose suppliers for bare root stock. Now, do you bury the graft or do you leave the graft above soil? Because I know there's various thoughts on this. Um, I'm, a be- I'm a barrier. You are a barrier? I tend to go a little bit deeper. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do because it, it it's it keeps the rose nice and sturdy and it also encourages the, the rose to, to root out more strongly. So, uh, And we're on light soil, so the, the risk of us getting waterlogged at all is negligible. So in that department, 
I bet, I bet, not loads, only maybe a uh, couple of inches, something like that. Absolute tops, but uh, yeah, that's what I do. The old thought about not doing was that you can sometimes get graft failures if you're using a grafted rose. But actually, if you're buying really decent stock from a major supplier, the grafts should be absolutely solid and they should be okay. Yeah, so like you say, I do bury the graft a few inches below the soil uh, for those reasons. Plenty of mulch, we've mentioned it. Yes. Get mulching. Roses love being fed. Feed and mulch. And I think, the, you, you, you know, you will get a really good display if you do both. I just use uh, a top rose or one of the rose-specific feeds um, probably two or three times a, a, a season. Uh, you probably have to do a little bit more. Yeah, I, I use them a little bit more. Yeah, because I know your clay, aren't you? So it's naturally fertile. With our sandy soil, we, we mulch with manure. And then I will also apply uh, a granular feed on planting or anything new in the in the late winter, early spring. And then we also um, will top dress that and top it up. And we might do a little bit of liquid feeding as well. <laughs> so quite heavily fed. You can also foliar feed uh, on roses as well. Yes. They do respond quite well. Yeah. So if you've got a rose that's looking a little bit unperky, um, it's worth getting a, a, one of these foliar feeds. They they really do enjoy them. Um, talking talking of foliage, most of the problems I think that come with roses are foliage related. So there's there's probably two major ones. It's the black spot and then there's the mildew. I've got to say, I'm finding black spot to be less and less of a problem these days. And I think it's mainly due to the breeding. I don't know. You have older roses. So do you suffer from black spot a bit more? We do. But that, as I say, some of those are, some of those are naturally quite, um, seem to be quite resistant to, to black spot, which is great. So, and, and others, others not so. And I, I tend to find it's the roses that are naturally sort of ailing. You know, if I give them a good uh, prune, to, to stimulate some strong growth and mulch and irrigate and feed, that in itself seems to be sufficient. Maybe not to make them, you know, completely um, resistant to, to black spot. That's not going to happen. But it allows them to have the strength to grow through it and not maybe succumb until later in the season. You know, that's that's part of it. If they're starting to, if they're already ailing and they're putting on black spot of infected foliage at this time of year, then it's a, a bit of a struggle. So get them around to being really healthy. Most roses will respond very well to a hard prune should they need to be renovated. I've, I've, I have renovated many, many old roses at the hall. I think the previous gardeners maybe were a bit shy to do that, but I'm quite happy to get in there with my secateurs and give them a good old whack back in the winter and they, they they respond very very well so don't ever be shy to do that i say the time do that maybe february going into march yeah and that sort of feeds into the cultural control for black spot as well just remove the leaves take away the take away the pathogen take away the overwintering spores break the cycle break that yeah. cycle and you should be fine there are sprays you can get for black spot but i do find them to find a little bit ineffective because the you know you'll see the black spot first so it's already done the damage before you start spraying. If you are prone to black spot a lot, you can pre-spray before the black spot appears. That's probably the most effective way of using it. And also you'll avoid spraying at the times when the pollinators are out as well. So if you are going to do it, that, do it before you see the black spot, not while the black spot's taking effect. Um, and the other one is mildew. Um, now, mildew is a very funny fungus, and we won't go into the life cycle because we haven't got enough time. But Mildew responds to dry conditions, one of those weird fungus that actually likes it quite dry. So one of the keys if you're getting mildew is to make sure that your plants are getting well watered or getting at least a lot of moisture around the roots. I find this is a particular problem on climbers that are planted close to buildings where the foundations are sucking up a lot of moisture or you get a rain shadow from the building so there isn't getting as much moisture in the soil. I always find that climbers against buildings suffer 
worse from mildew than say bush roses or the roses in my open borders so the first thing is worth checking is your plant getting enough mm. moisture it's funny because at the hall we don't seem to get much mildew and it's funny you know as i say it's unusual because we're on a, a lighter soil I, I do think we as we know that and so we are irrigating a lot in the summer these roads because because the, the, they do need it and the, the the owners love their roses so maybe that again is showing that mildew if you keep the plants so that they're not drought stressed it's the it's a good way to, to deter it in the first yeah and there are sprays again i just the same as the black spot there are there are some yeah. there are some homemade concoctions i have tried the milk i have tried spraying mildew with milk and i find it works actually i, I mm. i'm not sure what the uh, the active ingredient is if even if there is one but it does seem to counteract mildew and again just remove the leaves and uh, break that cycle stop the spores from overwintering um pests pests such as aphids and stuff i just let the nature deal with those i've never really had a massive problem with uh, aphids or anything like I've that i've had a flare up now and then at the hall i think because we're so sheltered where we are um it's very sunny and sheltered where the roses live and so we do have things like blue tits nesting in the walls because there's holes in our brick walls and uh, they absolutely love it there but i even even like a really fierce jet of water yeah. will blast them off even so it's not going to get rid of them completely but it will knock the populations back which then redresses the balance so then if you are relying on wildlife to try to to keep on top of the avid population they've got more of a chance but yeah now and then it will run away from you and that's when you do need to step in and either spray if you're happy to or as i say use a fierce jet of water to literally blast the little swines out of there (laughs) (laughs) well there we go we're giving you like a very quick look at our roses at stonelands east donland the roses you can get there is a rose for everyone as we said at the start although it's well, you can go and get container roses now, but like you say, wait till the autumn for the the, the bare rooted specimens. But now is definitely the time to get to your favourite gardens and see roses. And hopefully this year we'll have a really really nice display. And that brings this week's episode to an end. We hope you enjoyed listening into our take on gardening in the 21st century. Please do let us know, either through a review with your podcast provider or direct to us on our Twitter feeds, at GardeningSaul and at HeadGardenerLC. And also follow Lucy's Instagram page, also at HeadGardenerLC. As summer days lengthen, it offers more opportunities than ever to enjoy your garden, whether you're digging, hoeing and raking or sipping on a summer drink with friends. Whatever the reason, enjoying your outdoor space and bringing a little bit of foliage and flower to your personal plot is one of life's real joys. As head gardeners, summer is one of those periods where the garden brings the greatest satisfaction as the planning and perspiration spent for most of the year manifests a cacophony of botanical eye candy. But there is still much work to do, so join us on a future episode to see exactly what Lucy and I are up to. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, Goodbye! goodbye!